Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs seeking daily inspiration, brought to you by author, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur, Henneka Wakis-Porter. You must be prepared to ignite. Coming up. On this episode of The Entrepreneurial You, we haven't figured out a way yet to recycle textiles. Ultimately, every single textile is going to end up in a landfill at some point, even if it's repurposed. So we can't really call anything truly sustainable. But there are a lot of people out there that are making steps in the right direction by using their values and prioritizing those as they're building their businesses. Hi, I'm Hanika Watkins-Sportel, your inspirational leader and host of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Jamaica Stock Exchange. And now let's go to today's episode. Episode 68 of the Entrepreneurial You podcast features a media entrepreneur and podcast producer with a special interest in the intersection of fashion, entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech. It's a space she coined FEST. She's a founder of the Spirit of 608, whose weekly podcast features candid conversations with women building businesses at the forefront of FEST. The iTunes new and notable podcast has been downloaded nearly 200,000 times. In 2017, she launched Press Dope by Spirit of 608 and a digital PR platform for fest brands and socially responsible startups. In her former life as a journalist covering the business of fashion, her work appeared in Women's Wear Daily, San Francisco Chronicle, FastCompany.com, Woman 2.0, Aussie.com, 7x7.com, and many others. I'm very excited to hear what Lorraine Sanders will be sharing with us today. Welcome, Lorraine, to the Entrepreneurial You podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today. Awesome. Do you know anything about Jamaica? You know, I know a lot of things, but I haven't been there in person. I'm dying to come and visit. You know, I have listened to a lot of reggae in my time. I was a this is probably going to sound really cliche coming from. But I I was like obsessed with Jimmy Cliff for years. And uh, I love uh, I love the, the culture from what I know of it. And I think I learned a little bit about the language when I was doing research on your fashion brand that you had. Interesting, right? Because, you know, as we go in, I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about that because it's really a nice, um, you know, point on which we we share something that's similar. Now, uh, Jimmy Cliff, that's awesome, right? Really awesome. And you when you know Jimmy Cliff, that you, you know something about Jamaica. Now today, which is June 7 and today that we're recording, because it will not be aired today, of course, uh, it will be aired on um, after June 7. But today's my birthday. <gasps> Happy birthday. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I'm recording from the Sea Garden Resort in Montego Bay, Jamaica, and I'm having a whale of a time. <laughs> that is so amazing. What a place to spend your birthday. How cool. Yeah, right. I came in yesterday and I had some time in the hot tub and everything. And now I'm, you know, as soon as I do this interview, which is the only one I'm doing today, <laughs> I'm going to go out and enjoy my birthday, right? 
That's so awesome. Okay, so we're going to talk about FEST, which uh, which is all about fashion, entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech. How that ha- happened for you? Because, you know, as you know, I am also a fashion entrepreneur. Yes, I was very excited to find that out about you. Um, well, so for years, I was covering the business side of the fashion industry. And I was based in San Francisco, uh, California. And there, you know, the tech industry is huge. It really dominates a lot of the businesses out in the Bay Area. And so it was natural for me to start to do a lot of work covering startups and e-commerce brands and fashion brands that were doing things in an innovative way, whether that was 3D printing or um, trying to do something innovative with their supply chains. And I, over time, realized that instead of being a reporter covering the industry, I really was moving into more of an advocacy rule where I just wanted to tell the stories of brands that I thought were doing things in an innovative and positive way. You know, fashion is this industry that has a lot of um, problematic effects on the world. And as somebody that got to learn about that and see it from the journalist side, I became really invested in trying to elevate the brands that were doing things in what I saw to be, you know, a a positive way forward. So when I eventually, uh, you know, kind of started to move away from reporting regularly and I launched my, my show, The Spirit of 608, I was trying to figure out how to explain to people what this arena was that I wanted to talk about and elevate. And I kept saying, well, you know, it's people that are entrepreneurial and they're into sustainability and they're high tech and, you know, it's fashion based businesses. And I kept saying that combination of words, entrepreneurship, sustainability, tech, fashion over and over and over again until one day I was writing an email and I wrote it as fashion, entrepreneurship, sustainability and tech. And I realized that the acronym for that was FEST and it just sort of clicked. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to call it from now on, because frankly, it's a mouthful. (laughs) I was interested when I got your bio. I was really, really intrigued by the way you put them all together. And I looked at your website and it seemed, you know, that warmth and it it looks ethical. I I really love that. And what is sustainability when we talk about um, that in fashion? It's a really good question. And it's one that I think most designers who are trying to do things in an ethical and more positive way struggle with because there are so many different ways that you could approach sustainability. I mean, are you hoping to make products that use less water, for example? Are you hoping to use materials that are, you know, organically um, and ethically farmed? Are you more interested in reducing the carbon, you know, footprint um, of your goods and how they get from the place that they're made to the end consumer? So there's a lot of different ways that you could get into that and care. But what I find is that most brands and the designers behind the brands and the entrepreneurs behind the brands, they have special value. They have their own values and they have the things that are important to them. And, you know, I consider anything that is trying to tackle this issue of, you know, the pollution and waste that fashion creates in our world um, in one of those ways that they feel strongly about. um, I consider that, you know, a step towards sustainability. And, you know, nothing out there in the world today when it comes to fashion can be truly considered 100% sustainable unless it is truly zero waste because we haven't figured out a way yet to recycle textiles. Um, You know, ultimately, every single textile is going to end up in a landfill at some point, even if it's repurposed. So we can't really call anything truly sustainable, but there are a lot of people out there that are making steps in the right direction by using their values and prioritizing those uh, as they're building their businesses. The good thing is that we're making attempts and it's important to make that attempt to be sustainable because if, you know, if there's no, no sustainability, then there's no development. 
It's true. And these things go much, you know, it, the reach of the the impact is much farther than just, you know, what's happening with waste. I mean, when you look at how all of these, you know, excess clothing items that we have in our world affect communities around the world. Um, I mean, I view fashion as having an impact that is as important and meaningful as, you know, food production does on our world because it touches the environment and it touches workers' rights and, you know, human rights and it touches, uh, you know, economic cycles in different countries that are affected by, you know, uh, places like the United States. And so um, I just think it's something that we all need to be more aware of and pay attention to. And obviously we can't fix everything. There's no magic wand. But I think the awareness piece is something that a lot of entrepreneurs and consumers are starting to uh, dial into these days. I guess we look at even where clothing, for example, or fashion, not just clothing, but fashion in general is produced. If it's, you know, in the factory, if it is done with child labor, the conditions in those factories and so on. Absolutely. I mean, that is a huge, huge issue. Um, you know, in 2013, there was a, you know, very widely publicized uh, factory collapse in Rana Plaza, uh, Bangladesh. Right. Remember and that? thousands <laughs> of people, yeah, thousands of people were killed. And it was really a catalyst for, uh, it was a wake up call for a lot of people uh, around the world to say, you know what, this is not right. We cannot, you know, we can't have garments that were made in this way. There's got to be a better way. And I think what we're seeing now is much more of an interest on the consumer's part and brand's part in asking the manufacturers and the suppliers and the people that um, are bringing the the zippers and the, you know, the thread and the, the fabric uh, that makes all of our clothes, you know, really asking them, hey, well, wh- what are the conditions and are you adhering to certain standards and can I come visit your factory? And I don't think that that was happening, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So I'm optimistic about the future, although I do think there is much, much more work to be done. When we talk sustainable fashion, is it the same as uh, ethical fashion versus organic clothing and all those things? They're coming under the same umbrella, are they? I sort of put them all in an umbrella for myself because I think they're all doing things in a positive way. And and no one brand can do all of it, right? Like you can't uh, prioritize your supply chain and transparency with your, um, you know, manufacturing partners uh, necessarily if you also are trying to prioritize organic uh, textiles. Like you, it would be great in a perfect world if you could do all of those things. But, you know, purely from an economic standpoint, a lot of times brands have to, um, you know, invest in certain aspects of their business that are values driven. And then they have to go with sort of what the mainstream options are with other aspects of the business. So, um, you know, but for the purposes of my show and the people that I talk to and work with, um, I like to uh, work with all of them because I think they're all making a positive impact just in their own different way. What happens when there's no uh, sustainability consideration for, you know, clothing manufacturing and so on? What impact does that have on the environment? Well, I mean, you see with a lot of fast fashion out there today, uh, from you know the consumer side, it's cheap and it's you know stylish and and it looks good. But I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. But when I buy a uh, you know ten dollar dress, it's pretty likely that within about three months after washing it a couple times, it's just not going to look that great, and I'm not going to wear it. You know, I'm not going to want to wear it anymore. It loses its shape. And um, so then, you know, you are putting that in probably a giveaway bag. It's going somewhere else. It might get shipped overseas. And um, you're creating a bunch of extra waste that we somehow are going to have to deal with as a planet. So it affects the environment. 
Um, but it also affects communities. You know, there are communities, uh, especially in developing countries. Um, this has been a very big issue in Africa, for example, where, uh, you know, countries like the United States and countries in Europe have shipped all of this clothing overseas. And it's led to a huge surplus of really junky clothing. Um, and the local artisans and people that were making clothing in those places no longer have the same access to the livelihoods that they had before. And so, you know, it impacts people in that way, as well as it does the environment. And um, it also just leads consumers to spend more money on stuff that they aren't going to get a great value out of. And I think it's very hard for people today to say, I'm going to spend more and have a piece that's going to last me for a couple of years and I'm going to wear all the time um, than it is to just get something cool and have that quick fix of excitement around a new object in their lives. But, um, you know, I think we're seeing a little bit of a shift in that at the moment as well. I can totally relate to that. And so it's, it's not necessarily, you know, about spending on cheap clothing, which is not going to last. But when we when we invest our money on things that are ethical, you know, they last a longer time, for example. And so it does the, that waste does not impact the environment. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And I've had that happen to me as well, buying things and then, you know, literally washing it once. And then the side seam on a T-shirt is like in the front or something. And you're like, what? <laughs> going on here yeah yeah that's not cool at all we're gonna take a break right here uh lorraine it's great talking to you thus far and i'm looking forward to our second segment which we're going to look at really the business of fashion when we come back well let's take a break listen up if you are based in jamaica this is for you the world needs your voice it's as simple as that so create your own podcast visit hennikawatkesporter.com and sign up now to your podcasting workshop increase your network and your network by connecting with global guests and an audience from all over the world hurry up spaces are limited so sign up now at hennikawatkesporter.com and be part of the movement and ahead of the game we needed to raise capital but our experience with local financial institutions was that they were cautious and slow to act, and interest rates were far too high. We had real concerns about financing our business through outside equity investors and the possibility of interference. Could we get a fair valuation for our business? We had our own ideas about the business and its value. Should I go the traditional route of bank financing, or should I try the Jamaica Stock Exchange? So we made a call and experienced transformation of our business through conversations. I'm John Mafood, CEO of Jamaican Teas, and we're listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Give us a call today at 876-967-3271 to begin your transformation through conversation. We want to see your company listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. And before we continue, let me just read a quick review in iTunes. And that's one of our listeners gave. And it says, excellent, insightful and interesting conversations. I must listen. And this is coming from Chris Hoskins out of the UK. Now, you could have an opportunity to hear your review being read live on the Entrepreneur New podcast. Simply go to the upper podcast and leave us a rate and review. We would definitely, definitely love that. So welcome back. Welcome back. And we're talking with Lorraine Sanders. Lorraine is a podcast producer. She's an entrepreneur and she is doing some amazing things in what she calls FEST. 
fashion entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech. And before we went to the break, we talked about ethical fashion, what that really means. We talked about the sustainability of the environment and so on. And now we are going to be delving into the business of fashion. Welcome back, Lorraine. Thank you. I'm excited to get into the business of fashion. I love talking about this stuff. So in Jamaica, where I'm from, of course, and operating in the creative space, I find that a lot of creative entrepreneurs have a sense of guilt as it relates to earning and and making a business of their creative efforts. Like they don't, they feel guilty. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm a singer and I don't want to be thinking about business because um, singing is what I do. Or I'm a writer. I don't want to be thinking about, you know, the business aspect because I'm writing is what I do. But to see them as a business and to approach it from a business perspective, I find that they, they have a challenge in that. Now take us through Lorraine the business of fashion, what does it really mean to be in business and to have fashion as your business? Wow. Well, it can mean so many things. I mean, I think we're seeing a real revolution in what's possible with fashion and apparel uh, as a business today. You know, it used to be that you would have to raise capital to produce an entire collection before you knew if anybody was going to buy it. And before direct-to-consumer e-commerce was as popular and easy to do as it is today, you would have to then connect with retailers and develop wholesale relationships so that you could actually sell your products. But today, we're seeing people being able to start a small line with one, maybe three products in their home and sell them online. And they are able to develop an audience and grow their brand slowly. You know, People are doing crowdfunding and pre-order campaigns that allow them to raise the money and gauge whether people actually want the products that they are designing far before they go into the production stage. So the game is really, really changing. And, you know, to be honest with you, when I was reporting in the Bay Area, um, I had a moment where I kept seeing all these women starting businesses in the fashion space. And there was a little part of me that was like, why are all of these women you know, could you like, why do women have to go to fashion? Like, is there something in the feminist in me was like, maybe you could start something that had to do with something that wasn't so uh, traditionally female, right? Mm -hmm. But then over time, what I began to see is that these very, very smart female entrepreneurs were able to notice gaps in the marketplace and things that I had never even realized were sort of overlooked for women. So examples would be, you know, footwear, that is comfortable, but still looks good. Bras that actually fit. Mm -hmm. Swimwear that fits women's real body shapes. So there's a lot of things that women bring to the table that I don't think um, were there before. And the fact that they can now start their businesses more easily um, is really, really fascinating and wonderful to see. On the flip side, I often say, you know, it's never been easier to start a business, but it's never been more difficult to keep one running and grow it because there's so many things that you have to do as an entrepreneur today. And that's part of what I try to, you know, talk to people about because it can be very overwhelming with all the social media marketing, PR responsibilities, and not to mention just the sourcing and production aspects of doing any kind of product-based brand. All right. So you just said something and I can totally relate to that from experience. It's so much, it's really easy to start a business that that's, that's the easy part. (laughs) Maintaining (laughs) it, right? So, because when I started, Lorraine, I started 
uh, in 2007 and um, I did that from home for a pretty long time before I decided to have a, you know, to, to have a brick and mortar. And to, you know, in retrospect, that was one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in, in business to actually go out and have a space. Um, and I think, you know, and I've learned so much from that, you know, it was more like a, on an ego trip, I guess, wanting to have a space, to, you know, somewhere to say, Oh, I have a store. Right. But that was, you know, it was one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in business. And I look back at that and I say, you know what? It it paid dearly for me. I had to pay dearly to learn, but that's okay. You learn and you move on and you grow, right? <laughs> I mean, that's so true. And I think all of us as entrepreneurs, I mean, we all have those stories. We all have those moments where we're like, did I really, did I do that? And then you find out oftentimes in the future that that experience is making you stronger and able to do bigger and better things going forward. But, you know, to your point about the retail space, I think a lot of entrepreneurs now are moving away from feeling the need to do that. And in a lot of cases, when they do actually open a space, they're doing on a temporary basis. You know, they are not locking themselves into a year lease. And it's interesting to see that that's more and more possible. I mean, five years ago, if you'd gone and tried to secure a space in a major city, um, that was going to get decent foot traffic, you know, the landlords would have said, well, I need you to really uh, commit to this. And now they're realizing that there's a lot of potential just to have a temporary brand and, you know, that's able to test out what they're doing and make sure it's a good fit for everybody before committing. You touched on cost earlier when we talk about, you know, you know, buying something that is not as durable versus something that is ethically sustainable and, and so on. Now, when we're talking about going into a, you know, ethical business funding, what kind of funding are we looking at? You know, comparing that to a regular traditional fashion, for example, versus ethical fashion, what, what funding considerations do we need to bear in mind? Well, there are all different ways to access funding and capital for a business today. Um, I, you know, as I said earlier in our conversation, I was living out in San Francisco, California for a long time. And out there, everybody leads you to believe that you've got to get venture capital to start a business. If, if it's worth, you know, if it's, if it's a good idea, then you've got to go pitch your business and get VC funding. And I tend to think that, you know, that's not necessarily the case. Like, it's completely fine to have a business that you don't ever expect to, you know, accelerate and grow, you know, 10x and give investors a big, big return. That's certainly one option is to go the startup route and join an accelerator and try to get uh, in front of venture capitalists and pitch your business that way. Um, But most people will start and somehow find access to funding and capital, whether they get it from another job that they're doing, you know, they start as kind of a side hustle, they get investment from family and friends, Um, they sometimes can take out uh, a loan from the bank. I mean, there's various different things you can do just to get that seed capital to test your idea. And oftentimes when people are bootstrapped these days, meaning they're self-funding, they will do a crowdfunding campaign because they can then test the market and make sure there's an interest before they go out and invest in a full production run of the product that they they want to bring to market. And I think it's really, really important to do that because there are a lot of great ideas out there but you really do need to get some financial um, validation and pre-ordering and crowdfunding does help you do that before you can just move forward and know that your business has a chance of succeeding. Let's talk um, marketing as we're wrapping up marketing and any other consideration when you're thinking about entering the fashion industry and not just the fashion industry, but from an ethical perspective. 
one of the things that I talk to people about most is how to get earned media. So to land in magazines, newspapers, and digital websites, and, and how to get the, the press to take um, a look at you and how that can help you grow and amplify your brand. But oftentimes what I see with fashion brands is that they want the product to sort of have the whole conversation with a customer. They want customers just to see their site and see a cool garment and for them to immediately buy from an unknown brand that they haven't shopped from before and they don't have really any reason to trust. And so I think the key thing that anybody uh, thinking about going into this space needs to bear in mind is that especially in the early stages, the first year, 18 months, two years, you need to really focus on developing a voice and a relationship with an audience of fans that just absolutely like loves you and cannot live without you. Because more and more today, especially with new and emerging independent brands, customers want to relate to more than just the product. They want to tie into your ideas. They want to trust you as the founder. They want to see you on your social media. They want you to be visible and they want to feel like they're making a real connection. And so it's really on you to create that connection through images, through content, and through having a real authentic voice and a fresh take on things. And it's when brands do that that I really see them gain traction and be able to succeed and grow uh, so that they reach new audiences. And coming from somebody who worked in the field of journalism for a while, <laughs> that's great advice. <laughs> well, you know, I find that oftentimes with media and journalists, um, it's really hard for brands and entrepreneurs to understand what they want and how to reach them. And so I've made it a little bit of a personal mission of mine to try to explain that to people because there are a lot of opportunities to get in the press and um, you really need to try to understand who it is you're talking to on the other side and bring them what they're looking for. And when you do that, you'll have a much better chance of them wanting to feature you as a, a source in a story or feature your product in their coverage in the future. Exactly, because the media, they're always looking for stories to cover. And if you have they a are. story, yeah, if you have a story that's worth telling, then by all means, you know, it's just to find that angle. It has been my absolute pleasure talking with you, Lorraine. It's Lorraine Sanders. She is podcast producer, entrepreneur. She is the brilliance behind FEST. And FEST is fashion, entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech. You mentioned before we came on live that you have a giveaway for an audience member. Now, go right ahead and do that. Share what that is, as well as share how or peak performers may get in touch with you, Lorraine. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm really excited. I do strategy sessions, media strategy sessions with entrepreneurs who are curious about how they can get more media attention and get into the press. So I am happy to offer one session. It's a 90-minute session with me over Zoom to the first person to email me at hello at spiritof608.com. It's S P I R I T. OF608.com. And if you email me there, first person, I will set up a strategy session with you and help you get more press. And uh, you can find us online at spiritof608.com. In terms of your social media, anything else you want to share? We want, we oh, want yeah. all the platforms that they can get in touch with you. Yeah, well, I, we're on all the, all the, all the, me all the social medias, but uh, the best place to find me is Instagram at spirit of 608. That's where I hang out most. If you message me there, I will respond. And uh, yeah. 
Again, Lorraine, thank you so much for being a part of the Entrepreneurial You. Thoroughly enjoyed talking about fashion. It's where I've started. And so there's, you know, a sense of connection right there just by, by talking about fashion. But so much things, so much more that we talked about and your wealth of information. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best. Well, thank you. I had a great time talking to you and happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> We have come to the end of another great episode of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. Remember to subscribe in Apple Podcast and download all the episodes that you would have missed if you have not already subscribed and downloaded the episodes and play them to the end as well because good stuff is always at the end too. So do that as well as go and leave a rate and review right now. I'd appreciate that. It helps a lot because I put a lot of effort into creating this free content and it does help when I know that it is of significant value to you. So show your love by going to Apple Podcasts and just leave a rate and review. And when you leave that review, do send me an email at hennikawatkisporter at gmail.com because I'd love to be able to read them in an upcoming episode. And if I'm not notified, I won't know it's there because unless you go into all the different stores in Apple, there is no way that I can actually know that a review was left or a current review was left. So it's important that when you leave your review, you send me an email, let me know about it so I can go look for it and read it live on an episode of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Henneke Watkins Porto. Remember, you were born to win, but to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. What good? <laughs> <laughs>